World War Me. It's about the battle for our lives, and it just so happens that all the tools and all the truths that we need to, to battle successfully through World War Me can be found in the Psalms. And here's what we learn in the Psalms. Knowing God and experiencing God's best in our lives doesn't shelter us from the worst experiences of, of life. And I have to tell you, I, I just didn't understand that was when I was younger, but I, well, I do understand it now. As beautiful as life can be, it's also hard. I mean, filled with unbelievable difficulties. Unfortunately, we often let the difficulties of life keep us from experiencing God and, and his best in our lives. We, we let the difficulties which we're going to experience with or without God keep us from what only God can do in our lives. In fact, here's the problem that I've discovered. We live in fear, insecurity, disappointment and failure all because we don't recognize or experience God's presence in the midst of life's difficulties. I mean, and he's there. I mean, he's there. He can eliminate these, these negative results of going through difficulties, but we just don't recognize it. We don't experience him. In fact, in the Psalms this weekend, as we turn to Psalm 46, this is the truth that can maybe help us to get through the problem that causes World War Me to be so tragic in our lives and, and can allow us to experience the life that God's designed for us. The truth is simple. When we recognize and experience God's presence, we remain strong. We remain confident and faithful and and we can really experience peace no matter what's happening to us. In fact, no matter how badly the world is falling apart around us, we can experience God's best. And you just need to know, bad stuff's going to happen to us. Things are going to fall apart around us. We can't control that. There is no controlling it. There is no stopping it. The, the key is recognizing and experiencing the one who doesn't fall apart, the, the one who has control, the one who is able to help us to experience his best in the midst of these things. And so if you're a guest here, I, I mean, every weekend at Northridge is extremely different. Uh, I don't know about you, but I grew up in a religious context where every week it was about the same thing, right? And it was like you could come, yawn, say amen, leave, and you did your deal. And, uh, but every week is different here because God's truths are different and the impact they can have in our lives are different, and the way we communicate them are just different every weekend. But, but this weekend, this is such an important reality and truth for us to experience and relate. It's at the core of, of everything we're wanting to experience in life ultimately and missing. And so I just thought I should let the psalm itself do its work. I'm, I'm going to walk through Psalm 46 with you and help you to see that we live in these these, this world of fear and insecurity and disappointment and failure only because we're not recognizing God's presence. But when we can change that around, everything can change for us. And then once we see it in this psalm, I, I want to share with you three different stories that God's given to us of, of people in different circumstances where they were experiencing rough stuff and yet 
the reality and truth of this psalm, when lived out, made the difference. And then, and then I think we should just end by talking about, all right, what can we do about that? What's it look like to live with recognizing God's presence? How, how can we embrace that in our lives? And if, if we can walk through this together, I just think that we can live differently when we leave this weekend. So Psalm 46 starts in unbelievable strength that just lays it right out there with one of these profound sayings that has become pretty well known. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. There it is. Even when everything's going wrong for us, even when the world's falling apart around us, even then God is there. And when we recognize it, it can, it can change everything for us. He's our refuge, this place of safety, this place of security. He's our strength. He's the one that can make us, allow us to face down the challenges and live the life that's beyond our control and beyond our ability. And, and he's not just there when life is easy. He's there when life's falling apart. And I mean, that's who God is. And, and you need to know that we really try to find our refuge in a lot of other things, you know, in economic matters, in relational matters. We really do try and find our strength through other means. We try and muster it up ourselves. But, but the truth is, all of those are going to ultimately cave and fail. And the only one who's ever left standing is God. There is no other refuge and strength that we should turn to. And then Psalm 46, verse 2 continues, therefore we will not fear. Though the earth give away and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake without, with their surging, we will not fear. Why? Because if God is really our refuge, our place of safety, the mountains can fall apart, but he remains a safe place. The earth can crumble beneath us, but he's our foundation, not the earth. The waters can surge, but that's okay because we're not finding our safety in the fact that water knows its boundaries. We're finding our safety in God, even if the waters are loosed from their boundaries. We, if God is our refuge, then we don't have to fear no matter what happens. And if, if God is our strength, it doesn't matter how impossible the situation is for us. It's not impossible for him, so we don't have to fear. Well, what this is saying, and it's so important for us to get, is when all the dependable support structures of our world are collapsing around us, when God is our God, we still have nothing to fear. When all we're experiencing is loss, we still have nothing to fear. When all we're experiencing is beyond our capacities and impossible, we still have nothing to fear. When we're losing everything that matters to us, we still don't have to fear because the one who really should matter to us is still there. He's our refuge and strength and a very present help in trouble. He's the only foundation we ultimately need. In fact, I, I think it's important that I say this, and I hope that you'll let this, this thought stamp you just a little bit this weekend. There's a lot to fear in this world. There's a lot of reasons to be insecure in this world. But... Where God is, there is no reason for insecurity, and where God is, there is nothing to fear, because God is bigger than it all. And, and I think if we're really, really honest, I know some of us put on a pretty good image and a pretty good show, you know, and, 
But I think if we're really, really honest, we would admit that all of us fight these battles with fear and insecurity and disappointments and failures. And what we have to do is we have to realize that it's because of where we're positioning God in our lives. And I have to tell you, this fear thing is relevant to me, relevant to you. In fact, it's relevant to everyone. Okay, so in your life, what would you say is your biggest fear? Mmm. Greatest fear in life. Wow. <sighs> greatest fear. Hmm. Do I have time to think about it? Yeah. All right. I don't know that I can answer that. The unknown. Disappointing my parents. That's easily the biggest fear. Uh, to disappoint somebody that believes in you. I have two little girls that they look back at what I've done and what I've accomplished, and they're disappointed in. My future not turning out the way I would have planned it. Not knowing what's going to happen next is very scary, very scary. Not being actively in life. Not having enough time to accomplish the things that you had thought that you would accomplish when you were a little bit younger. Be left alone. That today will be the last good day I have. Sometimes I think about death. And it kind of get to me because my family, we lived a, a long time, all my brothers and sisters. And just recently, we started passing away. I think I'm most afraid of dying. When I think about losing my ch children, losing my family or losing my friends. Losing someone close to me. Losing people that I love. Losing one of my daughters to death or to the world. And my daughter would reject Christ. That my children wouldn't know the Lord. I'd say being a failure. I'm afraid to fail. And that keeps me from trying new things sometimes, which I hate. If you fail, you don't succeed, and you're not successful, and that's scary. Losing my husband, like just the thought of him being there one day and then the next not, I feel like that would be a really hard thing to understand and have to deal with for the rest of my life, especially since I'm so young. Losing my husband at any time. Not being good enough. The fact that I could let people down is terrifying. The fear of what others think about me. Like I want to look adequate to like the people around me and um, just kind of like worthy, I guess. Fear of not stepping out in faith to do what God wants me to do. Not being able to use all the gifts that I know that God has given me, that somehow I'm going to fail at being a good steward of what God's given me. That I would be a stumbling block to someone that would uh, be potentially um, searching and want to find Jesus. God's given us so much, we want to give it back to. We want to give all we can. And I would just hate to be one that wouldn't be able to do that. If you're human, you relate to that, right? I mean, I, I wish I could tell you there are a couple of those that are my fears. I, that, everything they said is, in my humanity, a reality of something that I fear or worry about in significant ways. I mean, that's me. And it's not me before I was a Christian. It's me. It's not me before I was a, 
a pastor, it's me. Because I realize, I, I'm sorry, this, this world can take me out. And has and does. I'm not strong enough to live up to the, to the challenges. I've, guess what? I can't live up to people's expectation. I'm going to disappoint. I can't live up to my own dreams. I'm going to disappoint. I can't, I can't accomplish all that I want to do morally. I'm going to fail. And, and oh my gosh, it's just plaguing me. But, but the good news is, though this is our reality as human beings, we can get past it paralyzing us. We can get past it stopping us. We, we don't have to be forever bound by that fear and insecurity so that we live lives that disappoint and, and lives of failure because God can change the entire picture for us. You see, God's presence is, is bigger than any challenge. And because he's bigger than fear, than if we're recognizing him, we don't have to surrender to fear. As humans, we'll be afraid, but we don't have to surrender to that fear. In fact, not even the fear of death. A lot of people go, oh yeah, but what about the fear of death? Look, when you understand and recognize God, you realize that he's bigger than this life. He's our father in heaven. He's not bound up and trapped in the spheres of our physical limitations. So even when we lay down this physical life that he created, we're stepping into the presence of where he dwells, our father in heaven, and we don't have to be ruined by fear because, yeah, life's temporary, but God's eternal. Mountains may be temporary, but God is eternal. When we recognize his presence, we, we don't have to surrender to fear. We don't have to surrender to insecurities because he's our refuge and strength. And think about this. We can do nothing but fail, but he cannot himself fail. It's a big deal. Then verse 4 goes on and says, not only do I not have to fear if all of the dependable support structures of the world cave in and, and I lose everything in this world because I don't lose anything ultimately if God is my refuge and strength. If I'm building my life on him, nothing can take it away. And the reason we fear is because we're building our life on all kinds of other things and all of those things can be taken away. And then we get mad at God for taking these things away and he says... I'm your refuge and strength, but it's not just the elimination of fear. It's also the guarantee of provision and peace and gladness. Look at verse 4. It says, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. You know what it's saying? It's saying where God is, there's always provision, water, that which is necessary for life. There's always peace and gladness where God is. Now, the metaphor many people miss here because it's, it's talking about the city of God. It's talking about Jerusalem in the day, right? This place where God's people were, this place where God dwelt with his people, this place where they got to experience his promise and his provision was already always there. And what a lot of people don't know about Jerusalem is that there's no natural water flowing in Jerusalem, none. That's not there. It's kind of a dry place. And in that day, you had to have a city fortressed with walls to protect against the siege of attacking armies to, to keep the, the people safe. 
So the people of God inside these walls safe, but what about the water? Well, God had given his leaders wisdom and they had literally diverted the water from a hidden place outside of the city. They had, with the brilliance of engineering, went underground thousands of years ago and brought it into the city and the, the sieging armies couldn't find it. And always dwelling in the city of God was this provision of water, even in the midst of the onslaught, even in the midst of attacks, even when it, there was no explanation for the water was coming from, it was there. And you know, that's just an explanation of what God provides for us. This is a metaphor. When the entire world is laying siege against you, if you're recognizing God's presence and experiencing his presence, then you'll always have his provision and his peace and his gladness. That's, what a promise. We don't have to be driven by fear and insecurity. Verse five then says it even more boldly, God is within her, within the city, this place where his people were dwelling, this place where God dwelt with him. God is within her so she will not fall. No army can take you down, no challenge can take you down as long as I'm with you. And God will help her at the break of day. It's a great promise, isn't it? A great picture that if God's within, because he's stronger than any force without, nothing can take you down. Isn't that a great picture? Interesting, though, because a lot of people know the Bible and they go, oops. Because, you know, Jerusalem ultimately fell. Jerusalem was wiped out by all kinds of different pagan empires and, and the people of God were taken captive and became prisoners of war and slaves in these other places and, and the promise was that if God is within her, she will not fall. So what happened? Well, they rejected his presence. I mean, he's always everywhere present, but we don't experience the power of his presence and the the safety of his presence if we're rejecting him and denying him and ignoring him and rebelling against him and that's exactly what they were doing because they no longer recognized or personally experienced the power of God's presence they they couldn't stand and that's what happens to us in the face of fear and insecurity and difficulties in this world we we're it's not that God's not there it's that we're not recognizing his presence we're not looking to him they had denied him, they had rejected him, and so God gave them what they wanted. You don't want me, okay, but know this, all you have left are the things you can control, and those things are out of control. The only thing you have left are the mountains and the seas and the, and the ground, and all of that's going to be quaking around you, and you will fall if you don't want me, okay. It didn't have to happen, they chose it, and the same is true in our lives. We don't have to be overcome, but if we decide to struggle on our own, we will be overcome. Verse 6 goes on and says, nations are in an uproar. Boy, you, wouldn't you think this was written, you know, in the New York Times this weekend, you know? Nations are in an uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. Okay, that part might have not been in the uh, New York Times. But, I mean, it's like all the world's going crazy. But know this, God hasn't lost control. That's what it's saying. The world can be out of control, but God's bigger than the world. He's in control. He can overcome. He can conquer any power, any enemy. And if we're recognizing his presence, then there's no enemy that can make us fear because God's bigger than any of it. 
Verse 7 says, the Lord Almighty is with us, and this is where it gets powerful. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This God who can literally control the whole thing. The, the God who, when the mountains collapse, is still there, and when the seas become a tsunami of destruction, is still there and protecting. This, this God is with us. He's almighty. He's our fortress. The God who's in control, who provides and protects, he's the one who's with us. In fact, one of my favorite sayings in the New Testament is when Jesus says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. He's always there. I, I don't know what you're going through right now. I know life's hard and life's difficult, and I know the experiences can be overwhelming, and I know they're bigger than you are, and I know they can create unbelievable fear and insecurity and disappointment. I know you can exist in failure. I know because I'm human, and that's exactly what I can experience too, but you just need to know this. The Almighty is there. And when you recognize it, he can change everything. Verses 8 and 9 of Psalm 46 go on and say, come and see. And I, what a great phrase. Come and see what the Lord has done. You want proof of this? Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He can stop it all. He breaks the bow, the bow and shatters the spear. Any weapon of warfare, he can take its power away. He burns the shields with fire. Come see what the Lord has done. The psalmist is saying, look it, I'm making this claim. The Lord is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. Doesn't matter what falls apart, you can live without fear. The provision of God is always running there. You don't have to be controlled by these things. And if you want proof, just come and see what the Lord has done. Just look at what he's done. Just look at what he's done. So you know what I thought? I, I said, okay, I want to take a look at what he's done. And so I started taking a walk through the biblical record and through the world's history. And I, you, you know, and I, I saw Psalm 46 and the truth we're looking at here. The problem that fear and insecurity and disappointment and failure rule us when we don't recognize his presence. But how strength and faithfulness and peace can rule us and define us if we recognize and experience his presence. And I... I mean, every story of Scripture speaks to this. Every story of those who have followed God speaks to this in the negative and in the positive. And so I just, I couldn't stop myself. I, I threw three big ones into this talk this weekend. And all three of these stories literally are worthy of a 10-week series. And so this is going to be a very, very long service. But that's okay. <laughs> because it's important. I'll just throw it out and you can spend your own time in it. But the first example are found in the 12, is found in the 12 spies. The 12 spies. You might not know much about the Bible. That's okay. You can go read it on your own. But, but let me just kind of tell you the story. Numbers 13 and 14. What had happened is God had promised his people, those who were recognizing his presence, he had promised that he was going to take them into a promised land, a land built by other people whom he would dislodge, and then they would have this place of unbelievable harvest and unbelievable security and unbelievable opulence. It was going to be the promised land, and he was going to take them in there. I don't know why, but the Bible calls it a land flowing with milk and honey. I don't like milk, and honey in milk sounds like crap, but that's, uh, it's supposed to mean this really wonderful place, right? And uh, some of you are going to stay there the rest of the talk. You're going to miss everything I said. But 
When they come, and God had done all kinds of things to bring them to the edge of the promised land, and he had made this promise. He said, I'm going to give you this land. And Moses, the leader, believing that, said, hey, 12 of you, go in and spy out the land and check it out. And let's find where we should go so that God can then deliver us. And they went in, and they came back, and all of them said, this is an awesome place. This really is the promised land. This is a place of great harvest and great protection. This is a place that we would desire to live. You wouldn't believe this place. But 10 of them said, but we shouldn't go because the people who built this promised land are more powerful than we are, are bigger than we are, and they're going to take us down. And they were right. They were more powerful. They were bigger than they were. They could take them down. And these 10 said, we can't go. Two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, said, they're bigger than us. They could wipe us out. But don't forget, God's bigger than them, and he's the one that made the promise. Let's go. Look at how it says it in Numbers 13, verses 30 through 33. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. Are you kidding me? They're stronger than we are. The land we just explored devours anyone attacking it, is the idea, those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. There are they're giants compared to us. In fact, look at this metaphor. It's just very telling. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. These people were so powerful that we looked like grasshoppers, and they saw us as grass. All they have to do is stomp on us. We're not going in. You see, the problem is seen right there. They were living in fear and insecurity because they saw the problem as theirs, something that they couldn't do. It was beyond their capacities. And so what did they do? They made a choice not to go in. And so as a result, an entire generation of God's people died without going into the promised land simply because they didn't recognize God's presence. They lived in disappointment and failure, not because they couldn't have experienced the promise, but because all they could see was how small they were. But the other two, they saw how small they were, but they saw how big God was. And here's what you need to know. Between small little you and the big, big challenges of your life that are beyond your capacity is an unbelievable God that can take down anything. The question is, are you seeing? You see, World War Me, we lose it because we think we're the ones that have to win the war. Wrong. God is the one that wins the war, we have to recognize his presence. Are you? I just believe most of us, this is true of me, and I believe true of most of you, we live in this place of fear and insecurity which leads to choices that lead to disappointment and failure, all because we're just not recognizing that God's bigger than the thing we're facing. We think we're supposed to be bigger than that. We think that God's supposed to 
make us bigger than those things, that he's supposed to fill us enough to where we feel bigger than those things. No, we will never be bigger than these things. We always are going to have to depend on mountains and the ground and the oceans and all that stuff. We'll always be smaller, but he'll always be bigger. And if we're always recognizing his presence, we never have to lose to fear and insecurity. The question is, what are we seeing right now? Who are we trusting? Do we want to be like the 10 or the 2? And then we go from the 12 spies to the three servants. And I'm, I'm just trying to show you that it covers every angle of life. I don't know what you're experiencing. It is true. I know life's hard. I know some of you are experiencing the difficulties of life and measures beyond what others of us are experiencing. I get it, but I don't know what you're experiencing, but I know this. Whatever it is, it's covered right here with recognizing God's presence or not. I know it is. And the three servants show it. The, the, just so you know, the three servants are relevant to this talk because the three servants were, and if you're a younger person, you need to know the Bible's relevant to you, were teenagers, some of the most gifted teenagers among the people of God when Jerusalem was, remember when they weren't recognizing God's presence and they were wiped out and they were conquered by sieging armies and they were hauled away as prisoners of war and all their freedom and all their potential and all their opportunities seemed to be wiped out. Their mountains quaked, their earth collapsed, their oceans overran. They're prisoners of war as teenagers in a place where they could be wiped out and all they're doing is being slaves to a king. Talk about a place where you go, it's over, living in fear and insecurity. But though most of God's people did live in fear and insecurity, these three didn't. The king set up a statue to himself and said, if you don't bow down and worship me as your God, I'm going to kill you. And most people bowed down because they were grasshoppers compared to the king. But, but these three refused to bow down. And look at how it unfolds in Daniel 3, verses 16 to 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and to bed we go. Um, whatever, right? Uh, replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. He will deliver us from the majesty's hand. Now, look, you know what they're saying? Our God's bigger than your furnace, buddy. But they added something. But even if he does not deliver us from your furnace, buddy, we want you to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. You know what they said? They said we would rather die worshiping the God who's bigger than you than to live worshiping you a false God. We won't do it. You know why? Yeah, you can give them a hand. That'd be great if we had more of that. Here's why. They saw the problem. They saw the furnace. They saw the potential tragedy waiting to happen. They weren't stupid. But they saw the eternal God who was bigger than any of that standing right there behind them. The question is, are we? He's our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Are you seeing him? Are you seeing him? And then we go from the 12 spies to the three servants to, a, to the one leader. And I just want you to see in every circumstance, it's the same thing. 
The one leader is David, and David at the time wasn't yet king, almost king, not yet king, but he had a whole band of soldiers, an army following him. He was their leader, and they were his friends and his companions, and he led them out into a battle one time, and the enemy came and wiped out their home and kidnapped all of their wives and children and took all of their stuff, and it just was devastating when they came back. And you know what happens in the world, I mean... Everybody blames someone else for their problems and even those closest to you can become your worst enemy when they feel like you've ripped them off, right? That happened and look at how it says it in 1 Samuel 30, verse 6. David was greatly distressed because the men, the, you know, his soldiers, the ones that were his companions that he was leading were talking of stoning him, that's killing him and each one was bitter in spirit because his sons and daughters had been kidnapped, you know. The whole world's turning upside down on David and everyone close to him that he thought he could count on was turning on him. Everybody. Talk about being alone. Talk about... But look what he did. He found strength in the Lord as God. In this moment where he had every right to live paralyzed by fear and insecurity and to make bad choices that led to disappointments and failure, in that moment he was strong and faithful and at peace. Why? Because he recognized the God who was bigger than that moment and he found strength in him. And again, I don't know what you're facing, but I do know this. If you recognize God's presence and find strength in him, it can change this moment for you. Oh, the moment might be horrific. There might be a burning furnace that can take you down. There might be everyone close to you turning on you. There might be giants in the land and you might be a grasshopper, but it will change the experience for you because you'll see God is bigger than any of that. So the application, I think, is pretty important to us. How does this, how does this change my life? I mean, how can this make a difference in my day-to-day -day here in the 21st century? Well, if we're going to win World War Me in our lives, if we're going to live without fear in this very frightening world, if we're going to remain strong and faithful and experience God's best even in the midst of this world's worst, there are some things that we need to apply here. The first is, and this is right in the psalm, we, we need to stop struggling on our own. On your own, you're a grasshopper in the land, I'm sorry. On your own, all you can do is fear. You have every right to be insecure. All you can do is fail on your own. Which is why the psalmist says, in light of who God is, Psalm 46, verse 10, be still and know that I am God. Stop struggling on your own because you're not alone. He's there. Based upon the facts of this psalm, here's the best advice. Be still. Know he's God. You can't, but he can. Doing life alone is a fearful thing, but doing life with God can eliminate the paralyzing effects of that fear. We may feel like grasshoppers in the face of our giants, but God is bigger than our giants. Be still and know. I'm God. Stop struggling on your own. If you keep struggling on your own, you will continually be defeated by the challenges of this life. But if you start looking at God, you will have a confidence that will change your world. 
changes everything. If we're going to really experience God's best in this world, even in the midst of, of the worst, then hey, we need to acknowledge who and where God is. So we have to stop struggling on our own, and then we have to acknowledge who God is and where God is. This is what the psalm says. Look at verse 10. Be still and know that I'm God. Know who I am. And then he explains who he is again, remember? He says, I will be exalted among the nations. You know, the nations that are in uproar and trying to overcome him. I'll be exalted in those nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. Though everyone dismisses me now, I will ex be exalted. You know, here, here, you know who he is? He's the one who always wins. That's who he is. He's the one who wins. You, you know what we're doing when we allow ourselves to be paralyzed by fear and insecurity at this point? You know what we're doing when we don't recognize him? We're literally giving ourselves over to those who will always lose, and we're missing being on the team with the one who always wins. Why would we do that? Stop struggling on your own. Start acknowledging he's the God who wins. He's the God who wins. Even if everything falls apart and I die, he still wins. I'm standing in his presence. Come on. And not just who he is, but where he is. Because I can know that God is really, really big. But a really, really big God who's really, really far away doesn't help me with my giants here. Right? But that's not what the psalm says. Be still and know that I am God. I'm the God that wins. But then it says, the Lord Almighty is with. Are you living like he's with you? It changes everything. You no longer see just the fact that you're the grasshopper. You now see that you're a grasshopper, but... God the giant loves grasshoppers. <laughs> yeah, I, seriously, right? I don't know why I'm thinking of kung fu right now, but it's got something to do with that. I don't know, that grasshopper gig. And if you're younger, look it up on Google. Uh, just say grasshopper, and I promise you kung fu will come up. All right, here. So if I'm going to, if I'm going to experience God's best in this world, even in the midst of life's worst, I have to stop struggling on my own, which is what I do when I miss God. And I have to acknowledge who he is and where he is. You're right here with me. And right, how does this work in the real world? I, I just have to stop and go, God, it feels like you're far away, but I know you're right here. This is bigger than me, but it's not bigger than you. If you're outside of me, then I'm not going to experience it. But if you're inside of me, man, oh man, nothing can take me down. Right? And you're just acknowledging him. And then it moves to the fact that then we have to entrust ourselves to him. We, we have to entrust ourselves to him. When we struggle on our own, we're entrusting ourselves to ourselves. But then the bridge is acknowledging who he is and where he is. But the place where we get changed is when we entrust ourselves to him. Are you? What does that look like? How do we do it? Well, I think it's all through this psalm. Remember Psalm 46, 5? God is within her. She will not fall. God is within her. She will not fall. But if God is not, 
being experienced within her, she will and did fall. Do you remember that? Same is true with us. I'm going to tell you right now, if God's not within you, you're going to fall. You are falling. You have fallen. But good news is God can put the pieces back together again. So you know the first step of entrusting yourself to him is? Let him in. Let him in. Stop ignoring him. Stop rejecting him. Stop denying him and let him in. Look at Revelation 3.20. This is written to those of us who already believe in Jesus, who have experienced Jesus. Remember, God's people who lived in Jerusalem knew God and his presence, but they rejected it and denied it and rebelled against him so they didn't experience the benefits of his presence there, right? The same can happen to us who know Jesus and have Jesus in us. We can, we can shut him out of our lives and often do. Look at Revelation 3.20. Here I am, Jesus says. I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with that person and they with me. And if he's inside, nothing in the world can take you down. Nothing. But you have to let him in. I just believe that right now, whether you're a believer already or not, I just believe the vast majority of us are letting Jesus live on the outskirts of our lives instead of on the main street of our lives. And that's why fear and insecurity and disappointment and failure rule. And I know we're mad at God about it, but it's not God, it's us. When God's within, it's a whole different thing. And here's my encouragement. Would you hear his knock this weekend? Would you please hear his knock? And would you let him in? Because when he's within you, nothing without you can take you down. Just before I give you the last couple of thoughts, would you bow with me in a word of prayer just for a moment? And as we bow in prayer, I just, if you're already a believer, I, I believe God's knocking on a lot of your hearts and you need to reopen your life to Jesus. And if you're here and you've never experienced Jesus in you, then I just really, really want to encourage you to pray with me right now. Just take my words and make them your heart expression to God. Just say, Jesus, I... I need you in me. I've been struggling on my own and because of that I've sinned, I'm guilty, I'm messed up. But I believe you're God. I believe you died on the cross for my sin and rose again and I believe you want to forgive me and live in me. And so by faith, I open the door. And I'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, just before I give you these last couple of application thoughts, if you prayed with me just now, would you let me know, please? Really, would you let me know? I, I'd love for you to know next steps to take. We've written a letter that can help you to know that. We want to give you a Bible, but we have to know. And so, if you're in our services, I know we're live streaming right now to Northridge Saline, Northridge Brighton, Northridge Grosseal. So glad you're with us here in Plymouth as well. You're here. All you have to do is take out your programs, and inside is a connection card. You rip it out, and I mean, it's really easy. There's a place where you can say, I prayed with you to receive Jesus. Check that off, and then there are boxes at every exit at all of our campuses, and you put it in there, and we'll send you the Bible and this information. If you're watching online, hit the wet knucks button, and we'll do the same thing for you. I also know that 
you're probably wrestling, many of you, with these truths. Maybe you'd like to talk to someone or pray with someone. We have a prayer team that meets up front in all of our campuses. And I just encourage you at the end of the service to come down here on your own and meet with one of them. They'd love to spend some time with you. But here, here's the important thing. A lot of us remember a time in the past when we let Jesus into our life, but then guess what? He got shut out of again. And we remember seasons when we lived without fear, but then, you know, we're living in fear again now and all that. So what do we do once we've let him in? And here's what I have found, and the psalm is very clear with this. The first thing we have to do is stay focused on him. If I'm going to truly entrust myself to him and not struggle on my own, then I have to stay focused on who he is and where he is and, and stay focused on making sure he's in me. Like Colossians 3, 1 and 2 says, since you've been raised with Christ, set your heart on Christ. You know, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, because God is your refuge and strength and a very present help in trouble. Stay focused on him. This week, I promise you, something's going to happen in your life that grabs all of your attention and it can defeat you, it can take you down, it can get you to make the wrong choices. It's in that moment you need to stay focused on Jesus. God, I know you're here. I know you're bigger than this furnace I'm in. I know you're bigger and I'm going to trust you. Stay focused on him. And finally, believe him. Believe him above what you see and feel. Remember, therefore, we will not fear. Even if the mountains are caving in, the earth's collapsing around us, and the ocean's surging over us, it doesn't matter what's going on. I, I, I'm going to feel like everything's falling apart, but I'm going to believe you instead. The ten spies believed what they saw and they felt. Joshua and Caleb believed God. And I'd rather be them today, wouldn't you? Everybody that bowed to the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, regrets it today, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they stood strong because they believed God, not how they felt. Who are you believing? What are you feeling? The same with David. Believe him above what you see and what you feel, and this is the conclusion of the whole deal. Life comes with some really messed up experiences, but they don't have to be life's defeating moments. Here's the truth of Psalm 46. When we recognize and experience God's presence, we remain strong and faithful and at peace. No matter what's happening to us, no matter how badly the world is falling apart around us, he's present. The question is, do you recognize him? It's my prayer that this week you will. So glad you were here. Thanks, everybody. See you next time. Pray.
No sacrifice can now be 